1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 11 through 21. Paul writing, But you, O man of God, flee these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testifies the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal might. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who supplies, richly supplies, I can't forget richly, uh, supplies us with all things to enjoy. Command them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, turning aside from godless and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some, while professing, have gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Father, we are here this morning because you have shown us what is life indeed. No, Father, life is only found in Jesus Christ. It's only found in the calling that you have called us on, the path that you've put us on, and Lord, through the, the words that you have given us. Lord, as men of God, we desire to be faithful. Uh, Lord, we're not resting upon our own faithfulness. We're resting upon yours. There's nothing we can provide. And yet, Lord, as you have provided and regenerated our hearts, you've also... Um, Put within us your Holy Spirit that sanctifies us and, Lord, puts within us the desire to become more like you. And so we want to do that this morning. Help us as we turn to your word and consider this important subject of forgiveness. And, Lord, I just pray that we would be also just an encouragement to one another. And Lord, as we go throughout the day, uh, that we would keep with us, Lord, the, the words that we started with. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you've got your study, you can uh, open up to page 88. We're on the section where he's been talking about uh, the home. And we're coming to cultivating forgiveness in the home. How do you, as a leader in your home, cultivate a spirit of forgiveness in the home? Uh, which is obviously important if there's one thing that is maybe most important for a lasting marriage, it has to be. Uh, forgiveness. If you cannot forgive, uh, either your marriage is going to end in divorce or it's going to end in two people just tolerating one another, which either of those um, are not going to lead to a, a marriage that illustrates rightly before the church and before the lost uh, Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ. And so that's the picture we want to protect. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is through this concept of Forgiveness. 
he begins just with his little paragraph, just read a couple sentences here, um, just by way of introduction. He says, men typically tend to resolve conflict in a way that would not honor Christ or build up one another. And he says, as an example, we typically resolve conflicts by overpowering. And so he's picturing a, a situation where maybe a husband and wife are arguing together. I'm sure none of you have experienced this is hypothetical, right? Okay, but you and your wife are, are arguing about a certain situation. And he's saying that men can at times tend to just win that argument or seek to win that argument you know, just by sure force or power or, or maybe, hey, listen, they're going to play the trump card. I'm, I'm the leader here. You have to submit uh, those types of things, which is going to create a situation where there might be some bitterness uh, that is coming up on both sides um, and forgiveness could be um, not given. And so what he wants to do is cultivate, instead of that kind of attitude, um, a heart of forgiveness in the home. And so it begins with cultivating mercy and compassion for forgiveness. And underneath that, looking at a definition for forgiveness, which is certainly important. Now, just before we begin, I would say there are some wrong ways of viewing forgiveness. And one would be a more worldly way, which would be someone comes to you and, or you go to them, and the way that you forgive would be, I'm sorry. Well, behind those words might be an attitude of forgiveness. I'm not going to take that away, and I don't think you necessarily have to get totally hung up on words, but I think just understanding what you're saying when you say that will help you to see the difference between I'm sorry and a biblical definition of forgiveness, which we're going to cover. So I'm sorry puts the emphasis on yourself. I'm feeling bad for what I did, which is good. You should feel bad. Uh, but it doesn't go as far as, will you forgive me? See, that puts the emphasis on asking them uh, to do something. Will you forgive me? In other words, there is an unpayable debt that I have in one sense. I'm asking you to release me of that. Uh, I'm sorry doesn't create that situation. And so you may feel sorry, but it doesn't actually resolve or reconcile the thing. And so just something to think about, because I know that's, common language. We all do that. I'm not necessarily putting that down as something that you should never do or whatever. Again, it's not bad to, to feel sorry, but just realize that's not going as far as uh, what the Word of God does. So what's a true definition of forgiveness? Uh, he uses a couple of words here. He says the most common word group for forgiveness in the New Testament is a word that means to release or let go. And the idea there is you sinned against someone, and so now you have a debt that you can't pay. When you ask for forgiveness, they release that debt. They let it go in one sense. It's gone. Second word group means to give graciously or freely pardon. So if you put these two concepts together, the idea of forgiveness in the New Testament is that you graciously, freely release someone of their debt. So this is something that is undeserved um, and is extravagant, lavish, uh, beyond um, what that other person uh, should deserve. So obviously, this being the case, we have to have some understanding of what God's forgiveness is. 
I think we also have enough, have to have an understanding that we are not forgiving in the exact same way uh, that God does. And, and this is important for probably a couple reasons. One, just understanding how different and beyond us God's forgiveness is. But I think it also creates a situation because sometimes we can feel like we're not going to forgive unless you meet all these conditions or whatever it may be. And there's a certain sense where God is the only one that can see the heart. And so God is going to give that kind of forgiveness when someone's heart truly comes to Him in that kind of sense. We don't necessarily have to wait for all the signs that this person's heart is in the right place and until then I'm going to forgive you. That's for the Lord. Um, But we can still release someone um, of what uh, they may have done against us. And so what are we being asked to release when we forgive another person? So here's a couple of things we can't do. We cannot pardon people from their sins. And so we shouldn't give someone the idea that because I forgive, that that means you're forgiven by God. I, I, again, we don't know the person's heart. We can release. But the more important relationship, obviously, is before the Lord. And they need to make sure that they're going before the Lord. Only God can deal with the fact of a person's guilt before Him. We can't release in an ultimate sense their guilt before the Lord. Now, we also cannot release them of divine consequences. Uh, and so there might be some consequences with us they can release. We've been like shooting them daggers every time we see them, and, and we're going to release them of that horrible consequence or whatever. But that has nothing to do with divine consequences that they could potentially face because they're not right before the Lord. So we never want to give someone the idea that our forgiveness means that they are right before the Lord. It can mean that they're right before us, but we are a very different thing uh, than the Lord. So what is it? We are called to release them from any personal right over them. And so we're not holding anything personally against them. Uh, They no longer have to settle an account with us. There's there's nothing else they have to do in regards to what they've asked for forgiveness. Uh, That has been taken care of. We've forgiven that. That debt has been released. And so these things are done. So, given that our definition means that when someone comes to us and asks for forgiveness, that we graciously and freely release them of debt, how do we go about practicing this? How do we go about practicing this? So this is our second point. And this is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where it can be at times uh, difficult and uh, can certainly create a situation where conflict can be ongoing um, and it can create uh, real turmoil in a person's heart. And so the practice of forgiveness. So we need to look at a few verses here. Ephesians 4.32, if you want to turn there, this is maybe the one we're most familiar with. We'll begin with verse 30. Ephesians 4.30 down to verse 32. So Paul's writing to the church. He's obviously wanting to encourage a a spirit of forgiveness within the church because in the church we can sin against one another. So what do you do? It begins, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander, uh, these are all actions that would come from a heart that is not forgiving. Um, And essentially the ones that are more long-term, as 
uh, maybe bitterness and anger and slander and malice can be. Instead of that, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and this is only going to happen if this next thing happens. And here you can see our definition, graciously forgiving each other. So he just puts everything together. They're graciously releasing someone of the debt that they have, just as God in Christ has also graciously, that's an understatement, forgiven you. And so here's an important concept when it comes to practicing forgiveness. You have to keep in mind God's gracious forgiving of you. If you don't keep that in mind, you will not be able to forgive as God has called you to. This is the foundation of all forgiveness. God has forgiven us, and therefore we must forgive. And so that's Ephesians 4, 32. You can turn over to Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. And he's going to say something similar here, maybe in a little bit different language. Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. He says, So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so we're talking about these are people who are elect of God. You've been called. These are Christians. Bearing with one another. And here it is again, graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. And so Paul's hypothetically saying, whoever it could be. I don't know what the combination is. Who has a complaint? What the complaint is? Doesn't matter. Just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. And then he says, above all, and this would be an important thing for forgiveness too, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. In a marriage, one attitude, motivation that's going to cause you to pursue someone in forgiveness is love. And in one sense, it, it is love that precedes the forgiving heart. I love this person. I'm going, I'm going to agape, sacrifice my life for this person. I'm going to forgive this person. I desire the relationship to continue. I, I desire to continue to be able to serve this person, whatever it may be, or vice versa. If love proceeds and you have a right understanding of what Christ has done for you, then forgiveness is going to become a much easier thing uh, to give someone. So how often should we forgive? Turn over to Luke 17. Looking at verse 1, and then we'll look at the, the parable after this. Luke 17, starting in verse 1. Now he said to the disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him that a millstone were hung around his neck, and he were thrown into the sea, than he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And here's the correct follow-up. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. 
Now that's important because I think what we're finding here or what the apostles make it clear is that another prerequisite for forgiveness as God is calling us to do here is faith. There is one sense that we're trusting the Lord with this because sometimes it can be hard to forgive because is that debt really paid? Are they really going to begin to act differently? Whatever it may be, is this actually a safe thing for me to do to forgive? And in one sense, I understand all of that. But the grounding is in God's Word, and so it doesn't ultimately matter. We're trusting the Lord with that. And so an appropriate prayer when you are struggling with forgiveness, and probably all of us have at times, is just to say, Lord, help me. Increase my faith. Help me to do what you've called me to do, which is, in a sense, beyond. I mean, if we're being called to forgive just as Christ forgave us, that is something that's beyond us. And so we need the Lord to increase our faith in that. And, and then, of course, there's the parable that Jesus told that I think probably more than any other place in Scripture helps us to understand what He's asking us and how to do it. So turn over to Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. As you're turning there, I'll read verse 21 and 22 because it's very similar to the other one. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times uh, or 70 times seven. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And so, uh, and I, I messed with the first part, but Peter's basically trying to throw out a number that would seem ridiculous. And Jesus puts it at an infinite amount. And a couple of things that I think we're, he's probably making the point of, one, we're talking about an infinite kind of number. Uh, we're just going to, this is beyond you. You're going to forgive as many times as someone comes. The other thing is, is this seems to be a direct allusion to Lamech's song in Genesis where he's talking about, hey, if someone has uh, done something against me, then I'm going to seek revenge 70 times 7. And Jesus is using that. And I think basically what Lamech is saying, hey, those who follow me, they have a spirit of revenge. And so this is kind of a worldly way. And Jesus is saying, well, my followers are the exact opposite. They have a spirit of forgiveness um, that would be lavish and beyond what you would expect. And so it's the complete opposite of an evil, satanic kind of lifestyle. So, and then he goes on to tell a parable, a story, to illustrate forgiveness. And he's going to have really kind of two illustrations in this one illustration. One, he's going to illustrate the Lord's forgiveness of us. And then second, he's going to illustrate someone who cannot forgive who claims to want God's forgiveness, but he cannot forgive someone else. And so we begin in verse 23. He says, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife, and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. Therefore the slave fell to the ground, 
and was prostrating himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay everything. Now, just a little bit of backstory here. I did just a, a little bit of uh, research earlier, just trying to refresh my mind on, on what's going on here. Um, but when we talk about settle accounts with his slave in a king, most likely, you know, in our minds, when we picture slave, we're pitching like the very lowest of the kingdom, but that's probably not the case. We're, we're talking about high up officials who would have been slaves to the king, the, the satraps, and some of those kind of names that you hear in the book of Daniel. And so this is that kind of slave. So this kind of slave would have been used to living in the king's palace and, and interacting with him. There was a relationship kind of thing. Um, and then it says that this slave owed him 10,000 talents. So a talent is just a, it's a form of money, but it's a, a weight, essentially. And this is the, the highest weight you can get. And so what is 10,000 talents? Well, it's somewhere around, I think it was, I wrote it down. But it, it's basically like 15 years wage is like one talent for a normal person. Um, and in all, it basically adds up to like an average person being able to make this 10,000 talents is something that's going to take them like 150,000 years. And so, in other words, Jesus is painting a picture of an unpayable debt. There's no way that this debt can be paid. Um, and another thing that uh, another commentator pointed out was this kind of debt was probably impossible for this kind of slave to accumulate just through normal means, which means this debt was probably accumulated through embezzlement through reckless living. And so not only is this a debt that's unpayable, but this debt is a dirty kind of debt. Um, he's done, taken what has been his stewardship and he's squandered it and used it on himself and used it in, in ways that would have been completely dishonest. And all of a sudden he's been found out. So that's the situation before the king. And then you can see the payment is going to be basically to repay his Lord commanded that he would be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had repayment to be made. So this is like a short sell. I'm not going to get my money back. And so I'm just going to do everything I can to get some money back. And what this would have meant is he would have been in poverty, no means of increasing his wealth for the rest of his life, not only him, but his family, grandchildren, grandchildren, all down the lines. I mean, he is just created a situation for himself and all of his relatives that is extremely bad. And so he realizes this, falls to the ground, prostrates himself, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. So he gets the situation. And now we pick it back up, in verse 27, and feeling compassion, and that's always a part of it, the Lord of the slave released him, there you see it again, and forgave him the debt. Now, we've read the story many times, but for those who would have been listening the first time, this would have been very shocking. Uh, the king, in one sense, would have seen to them as weak. Um, <laughs> he's, he's not exercising justice. Um, and yet the king in his sovereignty can do this. 
And so that's the illustration, and what it should paint for us is, okay, that's us. We are that slave who has embezzled everything, that has a debt that's unpayable, that should be sold into slavery for the rest of our life and eternal damnation. Um, not only that, but our own sin is going to affect everyone under us, our children and grandchildren. That should be us with that unpayable debt. And now he's going to flip it and give us another illustration. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so this debt is like nothing compared to the other one. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, was pleading with him, saying, have patience with me, I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and he threw him in the prison until he should pay what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. These are people who can see both situations. They, they see the king's forgiveness, and then they see what this man has done, and this is grieving them. This is not adding up. And they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that you had mercy on, that I have had mercy on you? His Lord moved with anger, and so he was, remember verse 27, feeling compassion. He's moved with compassion. Now it says he's moved with anger. This is righteous anger. Handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Basically, that parable is told so that we have zero excuse. There's no excuse not to forgive. And it's told in such a way that there's no excuse not to forgive regardless of what is done to us. Now, we're talking about our home. And I realize, hopefully, most of the time in our homes, the attitude is we love our wife, we want to forgive our wife. But it can get to a place where we don't want to. Because in a home, what happens is the very situation that Peter's talking about. How often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Forty-nine times? Seven hundred times? This is the place, probably more than any other place in your life, that you're going to be called to forgive over and over and over again. And guess what? It's probably going to be, at times, the same thing. You're doing it again and again and again. And you could get to the place where you finally say, nope, I'm done. And when that's the case, I would encourage you to go right here to this passage. Because if you understand the first part of this passage, your heart will be melted before the Lord's mercy to you. And now, a heart that is wanting to forgive, forgives. Because you understand rightly what Christ has done. And that's the foundation of all forgiveness on a human level.
Even when you forgive your wife, you're not canceling her debt before the Lord, any of that. But you are doing what the Lord has called you to do. That's the kind of attitude you want in your home. That's what you want to teach your children. That's what you want to model for your wife. And you need to do that whether your wife comes to you or not. You're seeking to have that kind of attitude of forgiveness and leading in that way um, so that our wives are led correctly and we present before the church, our children, the world, this great picture of Christ's love and compassion and forgiveness of the church. Let me pray for us, and then we've got some questions to talk about. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is uh, powerful. And Father, which shows us and reminds us how much we've been forgiven. Owing to our own sin and pride, that's an easy thing to forget. And Lord, even our sanctification, Lord, as we continue to become more like Christ, we can forget what we were before that and then can attribute how we've become more to our own doing. And none of this is our doing. We don't deserve any of it. And so, Father, help us to demonstrate that same kind of attitude towards everyone around us. Increase our faith. Uh, Help us to do these things with a, a right heart. And Lord, always for you. And Father, we just pray that as men that you would help us to cultivate this same kind of spirit within our home. Lord, be with us now as we turn uh, to one another and discuss these things. Lord, help us to be an encouragement to one another, we pray in your name. Amen.